Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I want to do two things today. Uh, first, spend a little time just thanking you as a church for being a home for us over the last five years. Um, and then I want to share a little bit about something that has, I'd say, mostly over the last five years become so key, so central to who I am and what I think about on a daily basis that it's almost like breathing now. It just kind of is what happens when I wake up in the morning. And so I want to I give you a little uh, peek, peek into that and a window into that. Um, but first, when Cassie and I drove to Boston about five years ago, there are two things that we were pretty clear about. The first was that we were going to live in the South End, which is more towards downtown for those of you who don't get down that way. Uh, and the second was that we were going to go to church in the neighborhood where we lived. Um, so that, though we knew CFCF, we immediately crossed it off the list as being in Brighton and not where we lived. Now, five years later, we've been at CFCF for most of our time here. And that's really because CFCF is such a special place. We, uh, we looked and went to a number of churches that have great aspects to them. But what we found here was something that was so unique and so powerful that we had to be a part of it. We found a place where you can come on a Sunday morning and you can express your heart to God freely without constraint, without feeling pressure to act in a certain way, or restrict yourself. We found a community that countlessly and time and time again lays their lives down for the sake of those others in the room, putting others' interests first. We got to experience that yesterday with some of you folks helping us move. We also found a place that isn't satisfied with just talking about doing good things. We heard about Engage the Crisis today, but is actually taking action to help make the world a better place, and to engage on the issues of our day. And so thank you for being a home to us over the last five years and for being a place where we could learn and grow. We're going to be moving to California to attend Bethel Church, which some of you might know, and go through one of their training programs there in about a week or less now. So, so again, thank you. Uh, you all are privileged to be part of this group, and you are what makes it special. So thanks. So I want to talk to you today about a very important topic to me. What I'm, and the title, which may be up here, is A Virus Worth Contracting. And before you leave and think, what have I gotten myself into, let me give a little description um, a virus, as many of you know much better than I do, is a very small microscopic entity that gets into our system and begins replicating itself in our cells and ultimately grows and grows until it influences and impacts the way we do everything, the way we think. And that is what I want to do today, is I want to give you something that can get into the DNA of who you are and begins to impact everything that you do. I'm not sure if that made you more comfortable or less comfortable with the idea of a virus. but um, So that's what I want to do today, talk about this virus. Uh, First, though, I'm going to start with a story that you all know fairly well and explain how that gives us the mandate, creates the virus 
that is worth contracting. So let's start at the beginning. The story most of you know, and the one that we tell ourselves, is that God created the world. There was, first he created light, the heavens and the earth, light and darkness. Then he created the ground, the sea, vegetation, animals, and then humans, right? And that's a great story, but I want to take it a, a step deeper there to understand what was the context in which the original humans were created, and for that, let's look at the screen or open up on the, your Bibles to Genesis 2. I'm going to jump in uh, mid-verse here. No shrub, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, And there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Okay, let's stop there for a second. So you get this picture of a barren earth, right? There's no plants on it. I don't know what the surface would have been, but, and you have God's massive sprinkler system, right? These streams coming up from the ground, watering it, right? So that's the context in which the first humans are created. Let's see what's next. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So here we see that, and perhaps we we learn about this later, is that the reason maybe nothing was created, nothing, no plants were there, is because there was no one to take care of it at that time until man was created. Let's go on to the next verse. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Here I want to point out two things. One is that when God did plant something, he didn't cover the whole earth with it, right? It says that he planted a garden in the east. So you see, the picture in which we have is that you have this barren earth covered by soil, watered from streams, and in that, God plants a small garden, which he places man in to take care of it. This is the picture of what Adam stepped into. Oftentimes, we, we think about the garden being the similar to what was on the whole earth, but it looks like there's something different here. So the garden, what was then man's mandate. We hear that in Genesis 1, it says that you should, that man was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, right? And so what we see is that God planted a small garden on the earth that was otherwise barren, and he said, take what was in the garden and spread that to the ends of the earth. Take what you've experienced here, what I've allowed you to experience, and spread it. This is the original mandate, the original calling that was on our lives, to take the good we've experienced that God's enabled us to experience and to spread that to the rest of the earth. So what was true of Eden here that we are called to spread? We know that in Eden there was peace, animals, plants, Humans got along together. 
We know that there was harmony with God, that God walked among them, that he dwelt them, that there was relational peace there. We know that there was abundance. We said the rivers watered the soils and that every fruit and tree was abundant and growing. There was access to plenty. No one lacked in the garden. These are the things that God called Adam and Eve to spread across the rest of the earth. So this is the first part of the calling. Take Eden and spread it to the ends of the earth. That's the first part of the calling. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is Eden the ultimate model? Is Eden where we're supposed to be going in that? Are we supposed to just take what the garden looked like and make that true everywhere? Or is there a different model for what we are supposed to do? And what I would say is that Eden is was a great starting point, but it wasn't God's end destination. We know this because when God finished creation, he said, it's very good. But he didn't say it's perfect, right? There is a state of dynamic creation here. It also says that he rested. He didn't retire, right? There was more work to be done. That's why you take a rest is because you're going to resume your work. And Jesus later said that, The Father is constantly working. And so we see that when God created Eden, it was a starting point. It was a taste of what the world should look like, but it wasn't the model that we are to replicate. Part of what we are called to do is seek an ultimate destination. So what is this ultimate destination? Let's look in Revelation at this. Revelation 21 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. If we keep going to that. Let's skip to one more verse. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So here we see where we're headed. We're headed towards a city. We start with a garden and we go to a city. There's some few notable differences between the city and the garden. First, it says that there's no sun or moon in the city. It also says that there's no night there, whereas in the garden there was. And so we see that there's a progression happening, moving from a garden to a city. And so this is the second part of the calling. And And I realize this is probably a bit abstract, but I'm going to make it concrete in a minute. So two parts. One is taking what was in Eden and spreading it to the ends of the earth. The second part is taking what was a garden and developing it and advancing it to become a city. The reason that's important is because our calling is a two-part calling. It's both to take what is good that we experience and spread that, spread that to the ends of the earth. And it's also to take what we see and advance it, to make it better, to improve it. This is 
when you combine those, what we see is that our original mandate was and is to create a perfect world. This is the virus that has infected me. This idea of creating a perfect world, of taking the good that I experience and spreading it to the ends of the earth, figuring out how do we get that to more people? How do we get that out there so others can experience it? And then also saying, oh, this, this isn't quite perfect. How do we make this better? And what's notable here is that this applies both to things that we typically think of within religious fears, so making disciples and spreading the virtue of having a relationship with God. But it also, if we look back to the original mandate, applies to everyday ordinary things. The original mandate was about taking care of the land. It was about ruling over the animals, right? And so this applies to everything that you do on a daily basis. Is it, what is the good that you experience in your job? What is the good that you experience in your life as a student? And how do you take that and spread it? Where are the problems that you encounter in your job? Where are the problems that you encounter when you walk through the city? How do we solve those problems? How do we address those problems? This is a powerful concept that I believe if we get a hold of it, if that becomes our mindset, if we're asking those two questions on a daily basis of, how do I take the good that I experience and spread it? And how do I make this better? That it will orient and raise up a generation of people who will make progress towards a perfect world. Two things I want to note here is, one is that we often think about the role of the church as getting tougher and tougher in a more evil and more evil world. We, you know, we hear, you know, you see the movies of the Left Behind series, and we see the world getting worse and worse. We hear the news, and we think the world's getting worse and worse, and we think, are we supposed to just hold on and wait this out until Jesus comes back and saves the day? If that is our perspective, then this mandate goes away. Then why focus on creating a perfect world? Why focus on spreading what is good? Why focus on making improvements if we're headed towards disaster and then God's going to save the day? But this doesn't, isn't consist, that view is not consistent with how God works. He didn't delegate authority to us to rule to become, so that we could be passive observers of the decline of civilization. He delegated authority for us to rule and came back and took that authority back so that we could move the world towards a better place. We're supposed to be on a, on a journey towards Revelation 21, one that is a continual incline. We see that in Isaiah's prophecy. He says, there will be no end to the increase of his being Jesus's government and peace. He doesn't say there will be no end to his government and his peace, which, would be, which is true too, but he says there will be no end to the increase. That means that there's only one direction that Jesus' government's headed, and it's upwards, right? There's only increase here. And so this, this mandate is alive only, as much, only in as much as we believe that we can play a role in taking the world to a better place. One last point on that is just as Jesus often warned and told the disciples, be ready for my return, right? And what analogy does he use? He doesn't use one of someone hanging on to a floatable device calling for a lifeguard, right? Desperately calling. That's not the being ready, is make sure you're ready to, like, 
spot the lifeguard when it comes by. Instead, he uses one of a bride awaiting a bridegroom. Most brides I know spend the months leading up to their wedding beautifying themselves, getting ready for that, so they are most ready when the wedding comes, not waiting for the groom to come and make them beautiful. Um, and so this is important for us to get that, that we can play a part in taking the world towards Revelation 21. And that that is why we were created, that is why we were put on earth, is so that we can create a more perfect world that will ultimately... Now, we might not get there, but we do see taste of that already in the Scripture. So, and they're not full tastes, they're not the full picture, but it gives us signs that this is possible. So one example is, and a strange one in some ways, is in the wilderness, right? The Israelites, God's people, were taken out of slavery and put into, and entered into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years, which on one hand was horrible, but on the other hand, what we know about that time is that no one lacked food, their clothes didn't wear out, no one got sick. And so that was a picture, a foretaste of what can be possible in the world where we're headed. We see another picture of this with Israel later when they move into the promised land and they conquer their enemies. And what it says is after, at the end of David, King David's reign, is that there was a time where there was peace on all sides of them. There was no more war. They were able to be at rest with the land and with the people. And this is also a picture, a foretaste of what it looks like to move towards a more perfect world. So I believe it's possible that we can continue to accelerate progress towards us. And this is what wakes me up in the morning and keeps me going of saying, how can I play a role in, again, taking what's good and spreading it and making um, and improving where there needs improvement. So how do we do this? If this is our mandate, what can we do today to make progress towards it? And here I'd like to propose five things, which might seem like a lot. But I I believe many of them you're already doing. The first is we need to be in the world. You know, sometimes, and I would put myself in here, uh, Over history, Christians have withdrawn from the world either to condemn it or because they're afraid that they'll be contaminated by it. And so we pull out of the world and we create our subculture over here and we do our own thing. And then we say, why is the world getting worse? And what Jesus called us to is to be in the world but not of it, right? How can we be immersed in it? How can we have relationships there? How can we know what is happening there? without being contaminated by it. And what I would say there is we're the light of the world, right? The light isn't afraid of having its brightness dimmed by darkness. It doesn't worry about darkness when it enters. So we don't have to worry about being contaminated because the light in us is stronger than what exists around us. So I would say let's be in the world and let's ask ourselves, are we, what are the activities we're involved in? Who are the people we're involved in? What are we reading? If it's all in Christendom, then are we, are we going to be able to create a more perfect world if we're isolating ourselves? I don't think so. The second one is experiencing God. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God, from encountering him. We know that in the Old Testament, God's presence 
the interaction with him was signified by what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And when you came into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, that was when you were coming into the, an experience with God. And what we see is that there's a story of when the Ark was placed in uh, someone's home. And what happened was a blessing abounded in that person's home. And so the closer and the more intimately you engage with God, the more good things are going to, the more you will be perfected, right? And if we are going to create a more perfect world, we need to be going through the process of perfection too. The other thing I would say is that as we look at what the world is headed to towards today, um, I at least in the world I live in see a shift from wanting knowledge to wanting experience. And so things like mindfulness, meditation, yoga, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but they are off the charts, on the rise. People are looking for something that actually transforms them. They're not just looking for knowledge. And if we are selling only knowledge, a set of beliefs, and not an experience that transforms us, we're going to be missing out on an opportunity to meet the, wor- the world's needs and to um, ultimately create change in our lives and others. So we need to experience God. Third, we need to perform miracles here, um, so I work at an organization which Mark alluded to that is focused on helping nonprofits increase their impact and ultimately solve society's problems or set some of those problems, um, which is fantastic and I love it. And we get to work with some of the best leaders in the nonprofit world who are doing amazing things to solve some of society's key challenges. And yet what I see is that oftentimes those challenges remain. And we don't really bend the curve. We don't really solve those problems. And that's because they're really hard. And God hasn't sent us into a fight without the tools to win the fight. And here he's given us a power. It says that the power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that was in us and is at our disposal. Not using that power is kind of like, playing catch with your hands tied behind your back. It doesn't really make sense, and it's going to be super difficult. So we need to use that power at our disposal. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Power is what will change things, and it will give us our best chance at moving the world towards a Revelation 21 picture. Fourth is... Tapping into supernatural wisdom. As I just mentioned, many of the problems facing society today, the world is trying, we are trying to address, and some we're making progress on, but a lot of them continue to persist. And that's because there's questions that we just don't know the answers to. The world doesn't know the answers to. These are hard questions. Some of them are like, How do we prevent more attacks like the one that happened in Orlando or in Nice, France, or what is happening in Turkey from happening? What do we do? How do do we change our individual lives? How do we change things like government policy? How do we do that to prevent those? Other questions the world is facing. What bathrooms do people who are transgender use? These are the questions that are on the minds of the world. These are the questions that we're struggling with as a society. Another question, what am I supposed to do with a college education that leaves me with thousands of dollars in debt and no job? 
these are the questions that God has the wisdom to answer and that we have an obligation to tap into. <clears throat> you know, oftentimes I feel like we're, as, as the church, and, you know, this is, I'm talking to myself here, we're often answering questions that the world is not asking and then wondering why the world isn't listening. If we can start answering the questions that they are asking, we'll have permission to answer questions that we feel they should be asking. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 2 that the, supernatural, the spiritual man is able to judge all things. It means we're able to have a perspective and discern what is happening on all things. We're not confined to the religious sector. That's not where our wisdom reaches its bounds. We are intended to have wisdom on all things. So let's begin asking these hard questions of God. In your time with God, when you, when you get with him, ask him questions like, how do we prevent future terrorist attacks? How do we create an environment in my school where people can go on to prosper? So finally, let's contract this virus. We need a generation of people to rise up and say, every day, every morning, I'm going to get up and, and say, how can I take the good I've experienced and spread it? And how can I improve where there's problems that exist? We needed people who believe that our goal is to move the world towards a Revelation 21 picture, where there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no anguish or grief. You all sitting in this room have an opportunity to be that people. I have an opportunity to be a person who who lives and breathes this vision, this mandate of taking what was in Eden and spreading it to the rest of the earth and taking a, a garden and making it into a city. So as I close, uh, I'd like to invite you all the opportunity to allow God to place something in you today that starts small and begins to replicate itself inside of you and begins to impact how you think about things, begins to impact how you see the world around you. When you're on the bus and you're stuck in a traffic jam and you're thinking, rather than thinking like, oh, man, this is horrible, thinking about how can I solve this? How can we make the world a better place, even in public transportation, right? So I want to invite you guys to stand right now. as the worship team comes up. I feel like there is something this morning where God is, where God is saying like that it, unlike most viruses, he wants the host to be, to say yes. Uh, he doesn't want to just invade you with this. And so um, I would ask that as, in, in just a minute when the worship begin, begins to play, that if you want to say yes to this, if you want to say, I want to be a part of this mandate of creating a perfect world, if that's something that 
Either you just feel like God is saying, yes, that's you. I think it applies to all of us, but some, some of us might not be ready to jump in there right now. And so that's fine. But for those of you who are feeling like, yes, like right now, I need to like just, I just need to commit myself to being part of this mandate. Uh, I invite you to come forward in just a minute. Um, and I feel like the other thing God wants to do is if you've already said yes to this, maybe you're saying, maybe you were just at engaged the crisis in Germany and you're like, yes, this is, this is what I live and breathe already. Then I feel like those God, what God wants to do is he wants to better equip you and take you to a new level and being able to create a more perfect world. He wants to give you along those five dimensions, an ability to navigate being in the world, but not of it. He wants to give you greater and deeper experiences of him. He wants to give you the power to perform miracles. And he wants to give you supernatural wisdom that has pertinence to all the issues of our day. So if that's you, if, you're, if, you, want, if you want a better equipping from God uh, for that, I invite you to come forward too. And if, if, you're, um, if you're interested in praying for people too, as people come forward, just come up and start praying for those, for those two things or ask them. Thanks.